Advanced Principles Podcast, or app, was created to be an outlet for like-minded individuals to share in the broader conversations on leadership, retail market updates, and incredible personal success stories. On app, you will hear a collection of stories from the titans of the retail industry, as well as thought and practice leaders covering the spectrum of the economy. Please click the subscribe button and look for the newest episodes to be released. And nobody ever interacts with each other. Nobody gets together. No one shares those you know, war stories or celebratory actions. We would prefer to see the cash yield, the cash be there, and then you know you pay it out in dividend. Either growing my business, buying a jet, buying a condo, taking vacations, adding on to my service drive, whatever it might be. Turn it back to the outlook on auto manufacturers in general on a global basis. Because of all those factors, it actually looks pretty positive once they can sort out the logistics. On this episode of App, we speak with Chris D.L. from London & Capital, a private wealth management firm based in London, England. Chris is an executive director within the institutional division at London & Capital and joined the firm in 2012 with a regulatory background. Chris acts as a relationship manager for existing institutional clients and is responsible for the development of London & Capital's reinsurance trust business in the U.S., Chris also works with insurance clients in Bermuda and beyond. He regularly travels across North America meeting with clients and working with insurers to build, develop, and execute bespoke investment strategies. Chris is a graduate from the University of York and holds degrees in economics and law. He also holds the Chartered Insurance Institute's DIP C2 designation and has passed Level 1 of the CFA program. Please join me in welcoming Chris D.L. How have you addressed some of those questions or comments of dealers just saying, listen, I, w- I want my full trust account available to me day one to go out and do whatever I want to with it because I'm either growing my business, buying a jet, buying a condo, taking vacations, adding on to my service drive, whatever it might be. You know, how has that changed or, or picking up in pace over the last several years for you? There, there are different scales of dealers, right? For some dealers that are generating a lot of monthly premium and that their accounts are growing quickly and they're quite sure about uh, the way the F&I products are going to behave in terms of underwriting performance and things like that, there is, there is an argument for actually, why do I need to wait the full three to five years? Why can't I get at least an access to a portion of those funds? quicker um, and obviously each insurance provider will have their own view on whether that's possible whether that's something they can try and accommodate or, or what have you um, I, I guess it's kind of from our perspective we see it a bit like you know well I, I think first and foremost we're an independent wealth management firm right so we're, we, we are conservative by nature and uh, you know from our perspective we, we prefer to see the cash yield the cash be there and then you know you pay it out in dividend you can do whatever you want with it uh, but it is a it is a cash flow issue to to manage and there are a number of options um available to sort of um to turn the tap on or off or, or what have you um but i think you know our, our default is you know just just play the long game right if you're if you're if you're Going through the hassle of, of organizing a, a sort of reinsurance trust arrangement, if you've got a, a reinsurance business that you've created and think you're, you should be thinking for the long term. Mm-hmm. And, um, and for us, long term is, 
you know, five to 10 years at least. And, um, and so I think, it, you know, if you go in with that mindset, that actually this is a long-term game and, um, and, and what I want to do is just slowly build it up over time, over time and compound interest is, you know, the eight, often described as the eighth wonder of the world. Yep. You've got to give it time to work. You can't, you can't rush that. So yeah. um, that's just the way it works. Yeah. Well, I think that's fantastic. So now with the pandemic, um, you know, certainly your travel has been restricted. I think the face-to-face -face interaction with your clients has, has obviously been missing over this last year and a half. So uh, just a, an overall summary of how, uh, how has this last year and a half and the market conditions really affected your business and um, your relationships with your agents and dealers that you work with on a consistent basis? Yeah, so I think you're quite right. The lack of travel has really, um, really, yeah, it's been a real shame, and it's definitely been the uh, the lowest ebb, I guess, of of this crisis. The um, you know what, what I'm quite used to doing is is getting on planes sort of 10, 12 times a year, and coming over to the US and seeing our seeing our dealer clients and our and our agent clients sort of face to face. It's been a real disappointment for me personally that I haven't been able to do that given I've got three three young children at home that I'd love to uh, love to have a vacation from but um <laughs> but uh, yeah I think um what we've had to do is work a bit harder with with the agents work a bit harder with the dealers make sure that we're available for zoom calls and things like that it's not quite the same and I'd love to get on a plane tomorrow um unfortunately it doesn't seem like the US and, and UK government have quite agreed um Away, away for free travel between the two countries. But I'm very hopeful that um, that over the next sort of a uh, few weeks they'll they'll be able to resolve that. But I mean, I think in terms of the current state of our business, you know, as you as you well know, the most asset managers the way they work is they take a take a small percentage of of the assets under management uh, every year that they that they work from. And obviously, for for us, we've continued to see new business come along. We've, we, especially given dealers have been, you know, flat out selling cars essentially, um, and um, and and we've also haven't seen um, we haven't seen any sustained falls really, a prolonged sustained fall in the value of, of portfolios. Obviously, we we had that sort of that March to that twenty twenty sort of shock initially, but it was, you know, it was quite quickly recovered. And by sort of the end of May, early June, 2020, we were kind of back to where we were really at the, the end of February. So in that sense, you know, our business model has been re pretty resilient. Like I said, I think um, the travel and, and the way we interact with clients has, has had to change and adapt. I don't anticipate that being a long-term change. And I, you know, I think, uh, I think it's Mark Andreessen was in the press this week about the fact that remote work is going to fundamentally change everyone's life. I'm I'm a bit of a skeptic. Yeah. I'm, I'm uh, I may Me well be well. proved I may well be proved wrong, um, and maybe we'll record this and uh, yeah, maybe we'll watch it again in 20 years and see how wrong <laughs> we were. But but certainly from our perspective, our business model is the same. We believe that the best way to create long term relationships is to surprisingly meet people face to face to interact with them face to face on a regular basis. And that's what we'll continue to do. Um, but I think for now, we'll, you'll just have to hopefully wait until September and I've got my fingers crossed that, uh, that, that we'll all be sort of back in person come the fall. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm with you. I think the uh, remote worker, I, I think there will be a, a, a sector that is permanently remote working. I think there's certain job functions or certain individuals where it just meets their lifestyle, meets the overall corporate uh, dynamic. But I do think that the majority of the population is going to want to return to the office. It's a huge part of their social life. 
Um, it's a huge part of the culture of a company. And I think one thing that has been exposed is that companies have a very difficult time creating longstanding positive culture when all the associates are in-house and they're every day and can interact. And to do it over Zoom calls is, is almost impossible. I can't imagine a three or a five or a 10 year run of a great culture company and nobody ever interacts with each other. Nobody gets together and no one shares those you know, war stories or celebratory actions. Um, so I do think that the remote worker uh, for the large part is gonna be temporary at best and, and the excitement and luxury of it will, will wane. Um, uh, so total yeah. agreement there. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a place, right, for, for, for balance there always is and everything in moderation and all that kind of stuff. But I think, yeah, to your, to your point, it's you know, the software developer, the in, in, introvert software developer who's going to be coding in the corner. I'm sure he was delighted to work from home forever. But, um, but I think for, for, for those of us in uh, the real world, I guess, you have to uh, interact with clients and explain what we're doing and, and all of those kind of things. I think, yeah, face to face, you you really can't beat it. I think you're going to struggle to struggle to compete if you're if you're not willing to do that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So one of the things that has really surprised me over this last year and a half is uh, globally the economy is is should be just completely tanked. So many people are out of work. So many businesses were forced to close. Travel, recreation, leisure, tourism—all those industries basically just wiped off the face of the map within a matter of weeks. Um, the restaurant industry, cafes, coffee shops, all the little local social icons were forced to close for an extended period of time, some longer than others. And yet you see it and uh, in, you know, the, the markets are at all time highs. Uh, spending is crazy. As you said, the dealers are selling vehicles flat out. Um, it, it, it's just, where is this all coming from? And then how does this kind of change? And then it wrapped up in that is, in all actuality, where do you view the health of the U.S. consumer as we continue to play this thing through? Yeah, it's a big question to unwrap. It is a big and, question. And, and yep. you know, there's there's a lot of unknowns in there that you know we're not, we're not we we can't pretend that we have a crystal ball, but we 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 have our own view on 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 how this how this stuff is shaking out. But yeah, I think you're quite right. You go back to March 2020, obviously. The doomsayers were, were completely out in force. I think we would hold our hands up and say, look, we're, we're probably too pessimistic um, about how long it would take us to recover from this stuff. Um, I think what was unexpected was, um, was really the, the, the duration and the, um, the severity, I guess, of, of, of the lockdowns that we saw across the developed world in particular. Um, and because of that, the government's had to step in in a, in a huge way. So <clears throat> I think when we talk about fiscal stimulus, we're talking about how much government is spending to, to, try and, um, to try and ramp up the economy or ramp up economic activity or what have you. Um, what we saw last year was essentially consumers not able to contribute to the, to the economy, so, or certainly in, in, the, in the way that you usually do. So 70% of the US economy is driven by the consumer how much money they're spending at restaurants, how much they're buying, how many cars they're buying, all this kind of stuff contributes to, to, to GDP. And what we saw was, was that level of contribution had to, had to fall significantly. And so the government has kind of replaced that, really. They've not, they've not necessarily boosted where we, where we were, but what they've done is they, they've plugged the gap. And so with that dynamic, 
um, in mind. What we what we obviously saw were, were a lot of people out of work, but but essentially being supported by the government be it mm-hmm. through in you know direct checks or through unemployment support or what have you. That was true in the US. That's true in the UK. That's true in Europe. That was true globally in terms of um, any country who, who who was able to step in and, and support their citizens. They absolutely did that um, to a degree that we've never seen before. I think um, one, of, one of the reasons, obviously, why, um, why we saw the US stock market do so well is because the stock market is uh, very much a forward-looking um, a forward-looking indicator. So it's it's already looking to 2023, 2024, what's the economy going to look like then? Um, how is the stimulus that the government has been putting in in 2020 and 2021 going to affect earnings and all this kind of stuff? And we're starting to see that come through already. So, you know, when the stock market six months ago was rocketing away, everyone was a bit perplexed. But at the same time, here we are in 2021 and earnings have been phenomenal. Mm-hmm. They've absolutely recovered. They've grown. Um, and what's more, everyone's had free money. All the corporates have had free money. So um, if you look at the balance sheet and the, uh, the, sort of the health of, of, of US corporates and glo- global corporates, everyone's in rude health. There's been a lot fewer bankruptcies. There's been cheap money, be it through the capital markets or through government loan schemes or what have you. Um, those those go and um, and a lot of those corporates have ha- have been able to save a lot of costs because the government have been paying their wage bill. Mm-hmm. So they've got a lot of cash on their balance sheet. For the big co- public corporations, they've pushed out their debt profiles, so they're not paying as much interest as they as they used to. They've taken advantage of the low interest rate mar- uh, uh, the low interest rate in this sort of environment, um, and um, investors are valuing growth. A lot higher because the interest rates have uh, uh, have shrunk, and so you know the, the time value of money becomes a lot uh, a lot smaller, and so um, you know investors are essentially willing to pay a lot more for earnings, projected earnings that are going to happen in twenty twenty four today. So that's really the dynamic of what's happened in the capital markets. I think in terms of the state of the of the US uh, consumer, I think it's really two. Two things that are important for the US consumer, which is essentially their income and their, their wealth, right? So mm-hmm. income is all about jobs um, and unemployment. So job openings are growing now in the US. Unemployment is shrinking. I think one of the concerns is that there, has, there isn't as much market sort of participation, I guess. So, you know, participation rates um, in the US are, are relatively low. Um, and I think that's contributing to to the sort of um, the unemployment number in the sense of the unemployment number might look a bit, un, un, you know, artificially low. Um, but, uh, you know, we've only just seen, you know, restaurants and things like that in some states open up. And so, you know, there, there is a lot more room for, for, for new job openings to, to come in. And hopefully those job openings that are available will start getting filled relatively quickly once the furlough schemes start to roll off dramatically and, and things like that, which, we're, again, we're already seeing certainly over in the, in the UK um, over the summer. And I know in the US as well, those, those furlough schemes will be rolling off. I think from a wealth perspective, um, I think I saw saw a headline that, that talked about the fact that you know the U.S. consumer debt has never been bigger, um, but those headlines are, are really quite deceiving. I mean, when you look when you drill into the details, you realise well actually debt servicing numbers is very low because interest rates are very low and people are paying less on their mortgage, they're paying less on their credit cards, whatever it might be. 
but also net assets are at all time high. So <laughs> you know, that there's two sides of every balance sheet, and net yeah, debt is just one side of it. Net assets are, are all time all time high. House prices have, have been growing strongly um, across practically every metro area in, in the US, um, and consumer confidence is high. Again, you know, stuff like stocks going up the crypto boom, all this kind of stuff adds in a way to good feeling, even if you're not necessarily directly exposed to it. And certainly a lot of consumers in the US do have, you know, a meaningful uh, exposure to, to US stocks. So, um, so yeah, rude health, really. The yeah. consumers in the US the consumers in rude health and no doubt you got you, you agents and, 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 and dealers are certainly seeing that on the, on the shop floor. Yeah, and it kind of leads me to my next question, almost almost to uh, an extent that's going to cause a, a secondary crisis here, um, certainly with the chip shortage, um, you know, driving, I, I don't know how the sales volume has sustained over these last three months. Um, I'm now driving by dealerships and seeing six or seven cars on a lot where they're used to having wow. two, three, four hundred. Um, wow. But somehow, some way, dealers are still selling vehicles at record volume and, and, uh, the, the consumers are in somewhat of a frenzy and just really buying whatever they can get their hands on. And it's not just automotive, right? I mean, we obviously service power sports and RV dealers. Now we're getting the golf car industry. Um, all of those are experiencing record highs. In fact, I, I saw something that the RV industry is 80% sold out through the end of 2022. Um, and I think a lot of people have taken uh, the personal vacation idea and got an RV, got a travel trailer, um, certainly the dirt bikes and quads and side-by-sides are, are record highs. I know boats are at, at an all-time high. Golf cars are selling at record pace. So it's not just isolated the automotive industry, but now the secondary crisis is beginning to occur where manufacturers can't keep up. Uh, so, you know, where, where do you see the health of the U.S. auto manufacturer? I know that they're selling a lot of vehicles at record profit, um, but certainly the volume has got to slow down because they haven't been able to produce the vehicles. There's thousands of cars sitting on lots waiting for chips. Um, so where do you see the auto uh, manufacturers, the U.S. base, the big three, um, from a, a stock value standpoint and then an overall health standpoint as well? I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I, think I can't, can't comment too much on RV manufacturers, but, uh, but I can imagine that, you know, all those, uh, that glut of sort of vacation savings is uh, is obviously heading their way into into RVs, no doubt. Instagram and hashtag van life and all this kind of <laughs> yeah, stuff has exactly. also also helped their business. But I think um, you know, like you said, every agent, every dealer listening to this podcast, absolutely acutely aware of, of the fact that overall industry production is is under pressure. It's running behind where it needs to be, given this chip shortages and the sporadic factory closures and all this kind of stuff. And obviously, unsurprisingly, beyond even beyond chips, we we see supply chain shortages kicking in all over the place with lots of other inputs, um, which is also which is also sort of compounded the issue, I guess. The seems like most of this disruption is fundamentally attributable to sort of the global logistics demand and, and, uh, surge that we've seen and, and the disruption as well. Um, and that's that's definitely the fly in the ointment for for today's manufacturers uh, working through those issues. I think that said, though, as you said, you know, all the data suggests that this year has actually been a booming year for the auto sector in general. The U.S. consumer has a seemingly insatiable appetite to buy autos, even at the you know the higher end of the market for both used and and new vehicles, and that's been reflected in the pricing that you've started to see come through. But um, you know, list prices have gone up. 
you know, arguably margins might have even crept up for for the manufacturer despite these supply supply chain sort of issues. And many buyers have, of course, turned to secondhand, you know, used cars um, uh, to, to replace those existing vehicles, bidding up those prices there. Um, and uh, no doubt you'll know that, you know, in April we had this kind of um, this higher than expected. Um, CPI, uh, consumer price index, uh, inflation number uh, come through, which was 4.2% growth year on year. Um, but used car prices were actually the second biggest contributor to that number. So yeah. used car prices were up 10% in April alone. They're up 20% versus you know April in 2020. Um, so demand is really being supported by what we're talking about government checks, excess savings, all of these kind of unusual factors as well, like car hire companies who obviously push the button far too early on, on selling their fleets. Um, and now they're trying to rebuild them with, with used cars and trying to essentially buy back what they've already sold. And I think, I think there, there was probably a word of caution in that, you know, consumers, there is some sentiment, I guess, that consumers might, might remain a little bit more price sensitive going forward. And, and I think some of the recent sales data, you know, does suggest that perhaps, there's a bit of a plateauing and, and maybe there's a risk of contraction. No doubt those sort of higher price tags have, have had an impact there. But turning back to the outlook on auto manufacturers in general, on a global basis, because of all those factors, it actually looks pretty positive once they can sort out the logistics. I think with employment gradually normalizing towards pre-pandemic levels, which I suspect is the journey that we're going to go on for the next 18 months or so, that will allow households obviously to take advantage of the fact that they've still got those higher savings rates. Uh, typically, when you see these big crises, you see um, households' uh, savings rates spike up and then and then come back down, but but stay above an elevated level, above the average level for some time. So, not only do they have that existing savings pot, they're probably still saving more than than they might have been. Um, looking at 2019 numbers, for example, and obviously we're still in a very favourable financing environment. Um, so in that sense, you'd expect sales to remain pretty resilient. Mm -hmm. um, and obviously the prospects uh, in the more sort of profitable sort of light truck sectors look increasingly bright, um, uh, especially in the US, of course, where you know industries are like and, and and corporations and commerce are likely to benefit from the recently announced sort of infrastructure spending bill. I know that they're still still undecided how that's going to actually land, but we're going to get something, right? Some, and um, sure. and I think and I think we're going to see a lot of construction firms and things like that benefit from that. Yeah. I'm sure, uh, and I'm sure in turn that will that will that will that will spend will help U.S. manufacturers. I think from a balance sheet perspective, most auto companies were able to raise liquidity levels over the past 15 months pretty comfortably, and they've raised them to historically unusually high. High levels, so this, those cash balances are largely being maintained due to those sort of the strong, I guess, trading environment that perhaps was a bit of a bonus. And debt levels look manageable. Like I said earlier, they've sort of, uh, like a lot of U.S. corporations, they've pushed out their their maturity profile on their bonds, so that that will help to bolster their cash positions. They're paying less in interest income uh, to their bonds uh, than they than they were a few years ago. And even if you look at someone like Ford, where they did they did get a bit of a, a rating downgrade from investment grade to high yield, it hasn't really had a large impact on their balance sheet at all. Um, so across the board, 
I think the tar- that, that you know targets are uh, remain in place at, the, at that corporate level to bring their balance sheet leverage down lower over the coming quarters, which will which will help. Um, but um, but yeah, I think they're they're in they're in really strong health. And I think the other the other point that's worthy of, of mentioning is looking at that transition between uh, you know ICE vehicles and, and EV, mm-hmm. and obviously uh, all the big. All the big uh, car companies are spending a lot of money in that in that transition. Consumer adoption is still small. It, you know, it's clearly growing, um, and the manufacturers are spending a lot of money to try and future-proof their businesses. Um, but if you exclude, you know, the smaller pure play manufacturers like Tesla, the global order of readiness is probably that someone like VW at the front. You know, they seem to be spending the most amount of money getting ready. They also seem to have. Um, I guess jumped out of the blocks with a few more few more models uh, sooner than, than some other global players. GM isn't far behind though, I think, and 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 of course Ford have, have, have recently released a number of well, at least announced the number of EV yeah. uh, models that I'm sure will be incredibly popular um, if they can if they can actually churn up the volume. So chip shortages, uh, you know, forgiving. So um, so I think um, you know. If you look at the amount of capex they're spending, I think that I think I read as of last year it was between those three manufacturers it was 150 billion over the next oh. five years, which VW's commitment to to spending on EV uh, sort of ramp up I guess over the next five years is the, is greater than GM's market cap today, oh. and GM and Ford's commitment is more than Ford's market cap. So these are very very big numbers, um, and obviously um, rightly or wrongly. The manufacturers are absolutely thinking this is a this is this is an issue of survivability here. This is we need we need we need to try and try and transfer to to try and transform, I guess, quicker than perhaps they had expected. But um, but those those initiatives are pretty well taken by the by the debt markets and um, you know record issuance um, in the US from from corporations in, into investment grade bonds. There has been record issuance. There will continue to be. Um, Strong issuance and and importantly strong demand. So um, so so certainly there's no shortage of buyers for that. And so yeah. I suspect we're going to see more announcements. We'll probably see it ramp up even further. I suspect over the next few years. Yeah. So you know certainly a lot of uncertainty both in the financial markets, the automotive markets, the retail industry. Um, but one thing is certain: it's going to continue to change and evolve. It's such a different business. Uh, that I joined over 26 years ago. It's going to look very different when uh, my son is my age, um, but the dealers will continue to adapt and continue to evolve and continue to succeed. There's no doubt. So what what does the future hold for London and Capital and, and Chris? So I think, um, you know, for, from our perspective, we're, we're absolutely focused on um, making sure that we keep our keep our clients happy that we're able to deliver you know investment solutions that that work um in the in the different markets that we operate in and like said, like we've discussed before certainly the reinsurance market is a really a cool one for us um i i think you know it's um you know from from our perspective I, what i'm keen to do is sort of get back to normal really um and i think if we spoke in 12 months time if if we, if i was able to get on a on a plane five or six times, I'd be a very happy man. <laughs> yeah, very good. Very good. Well, Chris, we've really enjoyed the conversation. We're going to end with a little bit of fun here. We're going to go through some uh, very fast, quick hitting questions, uh, a little bit more lighthearted, not as heavy about uh, debt servicing and U.S. consumer confidence and everything else. So 
um, you know, so what's the number one thing um, you like about America? Great question. Probably the food. I, I think I would probably <laughs> opt to go for the food and the weather, of course, and, uh, you know, in certain areas. Of the country. In certain areas. <laughs> certainly, certain areas. There's other parts of the country which are just like England, uh, but certainly. OK, so the food, I like that. So um, uh, current Top Gear cast or prior Top Gear cast? You know what? I'm a big fan of the new Top Gear cast. Okay. I must say, uh, uh, Paddy McGuinness and uh, and and Flintoff in particular, I, I, they do they do uh, they do crack me up. So um, I, I think I'm going to have to go current. Current. Wow, you are in yeah. the minority on that one for sure. <laughs> Very. Hey, I enjoyed Top Gear years before as well. Don't get me wrong, but yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But, but I think they've injected new life to it. So yeah, yeah, I, that's I like good. It. Well, it took them a few years to find some stable footing after You're the right. mass exodus. Yeah, uh, but it was good. So what's what's one of the biggest misconceptions you consistently have to overcome about being British? Um, that I don't know the Queen personally, I, I suspect, or, <laughs> or something along those lines. I think, um, yeah, the, probably the size of our country. I think uh, I think we're often uh, seen as quite uh, quite small and regional, but uh, you know we like to project ourselves as a global power. So they, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to be global power, right? Yeah, a long Not time all ago. that long ago. Yeah, it was just been Independence Day, so maybe we won't maybe we won't go over that. <laughs> uh, yeah, no kidding. Um, so the best place in London for fish and chips and a pint. Well, that's actually just down the corner from our offices. So it's a it's a, a place called Gigs Fish and Chips, and it's Gigs literally and yeah, chips. it's a literally a three minute walk from our offices. So um, any dealers and agents, if you're in London, I'll take you to Fish and Chips. Come to our offices at the same time. It's it's a it's a winner, and there's a few a few very old uh, pubs around here that date back from the 1500s that I can take you to as well. Wow! So I've been to Hung Drawn and Quartered, okay, uh, down yeah. in kind of central London. That's fantastic. Yeah. And then um, the pub right across from Parliament, um, where I've had some fish and chips and some uh, HP brown sauce. Excellent, uh, excellent. Enjoy it thoroughly every time I'm there. So I that's the extent of our food kids. culture. Yeah, that's the extent <laughs> of our food culture. So yeah, uh, you know, well first. Okay, so have you grown tired uh, about questions uh, surrounding the Crown, the series on Netflix? Um, <laughs> you know what? I, I, I'm the same as everyone else. So I'm I'm on Wikipedia watching it. The same as you guys would be. So uh, yeah, I, I've learned. I've learned a lot. I think there's a, a bit of a fair bit of dramatization, but I think there's a there's a lot of seed of truth in there. Yeah, yeah, it's a it's an incredible series. Uh, it's certainly one that has kept me captivated. It is interesting of, to watch. A lot of yeah. people that I run into are, are talking about it. So the final question then, and a little bit of fun, and I, I know you've bounced back and forth. You normally take ten to twelve trips over here. You've lived here. Uh, so any mishaps from driving on the wrong side of the road, either when you return home or on one of your travels over here? Now, I learned to drive in Florida, in Miami. So you can imagine that when I was 16, I got into my fair share of accidents. Um, oh, sure. But, but beyond that, you know what? I'm pretty good, actually. I think it's, it's only, on the, uh, only on the real red eyes where I, uh, where I try and drive out of the parking lot on the wrong, the wrong, uh, the wrong set of barriers or whatever. But, but, but that's the worst of it. So um, I think I've, I've gotten away scot-free so far. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I think one of the worst things that can happen is a roundabout immediately exiting the airport. <laughs> It's in the UK or in America for anybody that gets off the plane and they're used to driving on the other side of, of the street. 
and then you have to face that first roundabout and whether you go left or go right that's a that's a big decision of how it's you a lot to think to it's a lot to think about after you've been standing in an immigration queue for three hours isn't it right yeah. exactly exactly well chris we really enjoyed your time today i appreciate the insight on london capital the global markets the state of the uh, u.s auto industry a um, little bit of background on yourself and i know that our listeners are really going to enjoy it so thank you so much for your time we really appreciate it great no thanks for having me ryan i've uh, I've, I've absolutely enjoyed myself and, and hopefully i'll be uh, be back on at some point yes we would definitely look forward to having <laughs> you back on thanks again i really appreciate it great thanks ryan bye now hey everybody this is michael from ads Myself and the entire team like to thank you again for listening this week. And a special thanks to Chris for sharing his knowledge on the current markets and where he sees everything headed for the future. Next week, we have a true industry game changer. Jonathan Lucinay, the founder and CEO of Client Command, will be joining us. He will be speaking about his passion for the automotive industry, how he was able to guarantee sold units for his dealers, and the amazing company culture that is visible throughout Client Command app is available through Amazon Music, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, YouTube, and our website. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button to be notified of the latest episodes.